0: Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world.
1: I think anyone can do anything if they just put that intention there. And so often we think that people are successful because there's this element. Your limit is an injury, and that's it. Your limit is not the pain, it's the fact that something literally won't work. This notion that there's no such thing as perfection, and there's only such thing as intention, felt suffocated by perfection. You always fall short of this notion of perfection, however you define it. Sometimes it's not even falling short. You prevent yourself from going as far as you could out of fear of failing. so cool, like when you walk down the street and realize that every person has a story, and you have no idea what that story is, that everyone is their own protagonist. I think it's fascinating.
0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Face World Podcast. Well, today I wanna to welcome a very special young woman named Lauren Brown. Lauren is a Brooklyn-born Duke graduate with a passion for brand insights, digital strategies, and challenging the body and mind through exercise. Laura and I met at Arnold Worldwide, an agency based in Boston. You have, at this point, heard many other guests who have also met me this way. But you know, these days when young millennials especially ask me about if they should pursue a career in marketing and advertising, my answer is often yes, but not for the reasons you think. So Instead of focusing on big brands for your resume, for your brag wall, or somewhat of a decent salary, I personally think the biggest return is more about the people you meet and the stories you hear. Those are invaluable lessons for life. Lauren is certainly one who has had a story that will never be forgotten. She is a retired professional ballerina, state, and national yoga champion. Number one in Massachusetts in 2015, and that same year, she was ranked number 21 in the United States. She recently competed in the UBS and Open IDO Challenge and was a winner with her team project called Unbroke. Unbroke unveils the issues with higher education in America today, particularly around student loans. Lauren and her team took a number of steps forward and actually proposed a system that could make students' lives better. This is one of the main topics during our conversation. We then also chatted about Lauren's career as a professional ballerina, performing with the Pennsylvania Ballet and New York City Ballet at Lincoln Center before receiving her degree in psychology at Duke. So what will you get out of this episode? You will learn a few things about brand planning and marketing, of course, but more importantly, this is a story about change. What is it like for someone to transition from professional ballet or the performing arts to a nine to five? And when Lauren finds it rewarding? A full-time job aside, Lauren shows you how she can continue pursuing her dreams in other areas such as her ambitions in yoga. She'll walk you through her journey in state and national competitions as well. So lots of goodies to share here. Those things you often hear about millennials today, turns out they aren't all true. So if you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing to FaceWorld Podcast by visiting the iTunes store and search for Face World Podcast. You can also easily do that with just a single click if you're already listening on your mobile device. So with the Apple Podcast app or Samsung app such as Podcast Addict. without further ado, please welcome Lauren Brown to the phase world podcast. Um, so let's jump right in. I am here with. Lauren Brown, who is, you know, is professionally trained in classical ballet and now are uh, your yoga practitioner and actually a yoga competitor and also a strategist at Arnold Worldwide. With, with so many titles attached to your name, does it, does it feel natural? How do you typically introduce yourself
1: Well, I think it kind of depends on what situation I'm in. It's kind of interesting because my identity is something that I've kind of struggled with quite a bit throughout my life. And for a long time, my identity was the ballerina, whether I was in middle school, high school, or even in college after um, I had taken time off to dance ballet professionally. Everyone knew me as Lauren the ballerina. And when I graduated, I kind of had an identity crisis. (laughs) I didn't know who I really was kind of beyond that demure dancer. And I really sought to figure out who I was as an adult um, outside of that. So the thing that actually really helped me figure that out was I took one of those jobs where on the street uh, in New York, I waved people down, asking them if they had a minute for the environment, and of course, no New Yorker did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into marketing. But I would have people that would yell at me, telling me how I ruined their day. It really toughened up my skin. It made me realize that I was a person, and being a person meant all of that. Whether it meant that I was a ballerina and had an interest there, or whether I was passionate about the environment or just curious about marketing and psychology, I was me. Sorry, that's, this is kind of a loaded question that you asked because I've given a lot of thought to it. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you're
0: talking about it because I think that truly is the cream of our conversation. And I have to ask, how old were you when you were on the street asking marketing questions, surveys, like 22,
1: 23? So this is actually between high school and college. So mm-hmm. well after
0: ballet so i guess 19 so i was reading this article you have this bio on uh, on a website i think it was one of the dance association that you're associated with and it was heartbreaking for me to see the word retirement and You know, I was thinking, you must have been like 19, 20 years old. Did that hit you? You know, we started talking about this when I was still working at Arnold. What made you decide to perhaps stop dancing and pursuing other aspects of life, knowing that you started dancing at a very young age and have so many questions about the school in London as well? It's like, you're American. What are you doing in England? But it's been a long time. What was that transition to going from a full-time professional dancer (laughs) to say, let's figure out what's out there.
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, my whole life, I've always had a lot of interests as you grow up, as any child does, you have to select which outside of school activities you focus on. So I quickly got rid of many of them when I was dancing and not even in school at the time you commit your entire life to it as a profession. And it's very different to go after your passion professionally versus have it be your passion, but maybe not what you're paid to do. And for me, there was actual, actually a real turning point. <laughs> and it was when I felt like somebody else controlled my body. So I'm a, I'm tall. I'm five foot nine and in point shoes, I have big feet. So in point shoes, I'm six foot three. So in order to have any tall dancer, you need tall men in a ballet company. All companies are very selective with the number of tall dancers they have, and they oftentimes have them doing many different roles. So it was Nutcracker season. We did something like 30 shows in two weeks, um, oftentimes dancing three shows every day. And I had three parts in each of the three shows, uh, so nine different roles in a day, and um, And as a new dancer in a company, you have to take class before the shows as well. So not even exaggerating, I was dancing and in point shoes for over 13 hours a day, which is a lot. Wow, it's so interesting when you
0: talk to somebody who actually comes from an industry, being an insider rather than an outsider like myself. You know, I've been to a couple of shows, have a couple of friends, but not in-depth conversation. I realize that there are a lot of misconceptions. And now that, you know, after introducing you to someone like Hope Davis, I went to see her show. I just realized how much mileage, how many mileage that you put on a body, whether being a man or a woman, and how prone you are to injuries and how little recovery time you have in between, you
1: know? Yeah, that's actually, I hadn't thought about the mileage on a body, but it's it's almost like it doesn't matter. Um, and that's kind of what the turning point was for me. So I think I had my first zone shots in my hips at like age 14, 15. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say 24. <laughs> wow. So uh, your limit is an in injury. And that's it. Your limit is not the pain. It's the fact that something literally won't work. So the time I realized that I wanted to move on from ballet is I was dancing so much. Of course, your body is uh, it needs to be well-cut so that it can perform and uh, well-fueled. But when you're dancing that much, the only thing that I could really eat was trail mix in between the ballet class and then the performance and then the next ballet class and the performance. And the next, you know like just. You can't really have a meal because you can't have a rock in your stomach. Mm -hmm. And you're burning through so many calories that there was a point when I was on stage that it was during snow. And there's a scene in snow where all the dancers twirl around really fast, really fast, and then all of a sudden stop. It's very dramatic. And then they all go to the corner and dance in formation all together. So it's just like so dramatic. And it's an amazing moment. And I remember twirling and then stopping and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to faint. Should I run off stage and faint or should I stay on stage and faint? (laughs) But everyone will notice that there are only 15 and not 16 people in the formation. What do I do? And I decided to stay on stage. And thank goodness I did not faint. But at that moment, I realized that I was almost like a marionette and that the puppet master controlled my body because I didn't want to be considered undedicated. And one of my best friends, Cameron, he dances with New York City Ballet, and he and I went to go see The Black Swan together in the theaters. I don't know if you've seen it. But yes, I have. So it's, it seems over the top, but the only thing that fell over the top to us was the actual fantastical part of it, where, you know, maybe things are kind of growing out of her body, or also the, did she kill herself? Sorry if I just scrolled that name. No,
0: not at all. I feel free to, yeah. I mentioned swear and say whatever you want on the show too. Yeah. So if I feel like okay. you're holding yourself back. <laughs> get carried away.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause like I totally, speaking of black swan, I think in all of us, you really have that white swan, black swan tension. So the cursing versus not cursing, it's sometimes I find myself being absolutely like a sailor, but then other times I find myself identifying back with like demure dancer self you know so it's just it's funny that you say that but um but yeah like we went to go see that movie and both of us felt like that was exactly what it was like to be a dancer that you did anything it took to excel and succeed and it didn't matter there were no barriers in your mind your mind was only barrier really Mm -hmm.
0: It's so funny because after the show, I know that was a a number of years ago when I was still working at Sapien, so make it at least three to four years ago, I spoke with a dancer like yourself who, very serious, up until 17, 18, and then quit, and it was telling me how realistic that movie was to her, just watching and it's like, what? That's pretty real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly what we went through. Yeah. And then yeah. there's, you know, also as a dancer. But what I thought was interesting is when you put yourself in such an extreme situation imagine you're a little girl, you've been immersed in that world for so long in a way that becomes part of you, your life, and your own identity. But then all of a sudden, you become a grown up. You're then immersed in other friendships and people. And, you know, all of a sudden, you look at life, it's like this is kind of metaphorical in a way that, well, is this truly me? Is it mm-hmm. the real life? Is there another life, more real life outside of this? You know, what is the actual human interaction? And I start thinking about this quite a bit of, you know, like I will showcase your picture and all that, the first time I met you, Lauren, and it became very clear to me that you were a dancer, where you have been for a very long time. And even in, even though in a business setting, you're tall, you're very thin, you're fit, you have the perfect posture, and you're very beautiful. So, you know, last night I was thinking that I love interviewing as a woman going through careers, even as a young girl, through uh, being a young professional and later more seasoned professionals how does sort of the beauty and your training served you in the professional world? Like, I, that really intrigued me because sometimes it can be kind of annoying, I have to say. Like, what
1: has it been like for you? Yeah. I'll, I'll go into this question, but maybe for answer the very first question you asked me, which was, how do you identify yourself? And when I left ballet, I didn't know how what my identity was. And what has become increasingly important to me is not to be what I do, but to be who I am. Because so often I tried to fit, I try to figure out what's the title that like encompasses who Lauren is, you know, and I think all of us are so dynamic. And that's one of the reasons I love advertising, because you'll meet people with so many different interests. I mean, like yourself, the You have this entire blogging website and um, (laughs) your interest in traveling and karate as well. You know, you have so many interests and I think we all have so many interests, but it kind of recently was my granddaddy's 90th birthday. So I had to write him a note. And what was upsetting to me was how just like a note to say, I love you and you're awesome and stuff like this. And my mom gave me inspiration, but it was all about his accolades and his accomplishments, but not about who he was. I think that's why it upset me so much because I wanted to tell him what he meant to me as a person as opposed to how I was of his accomplishments. You know, I'm proud of him, but it's more about who he is. So when it comes to my height and kind of things I do or kind of my outward appearance, I try to, like, I have my style, you know, but I try to play away from that if I can. And I'm aware that people are aware of my height and that I'm a ballerina or like I might come off as a, um, whenever I can, I, I kind of combat it. So I like to be a tomboy sometimes <laughs> or, uh, you know, like wear army clothes. And when I was young, I always wear my hat backwards, maybe to combat the, the ballet, sweet little girl type attitude. But That's funny. also I, it wasn't a huge ordeal, but one of the very senior men would comment on my height and my heels and it made me feel really uncomfortable. And then one day I said, well, and I figured out like what a good response would be. And I said, well, you know, I did read somewhere that every inch you are tall equates to a $5,000 raise. So watch out next week. I might be in five (laughs) inches. That's so funny. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to me because a lot of men I, I actually think are a little bit threatened by the fact that I meet them eye level, but I try to play into it.
0: No, I think you answered it really well. And I, I really like the transition what you said about your grandfather and coming from my background, as you know, I grew up in Beijing, China, it spent about half of my life it's so funny, half of my life split between China and the US and just seeing that distinction, especially today, and I feel like the two worlds or the two cultures are trying to collide and kind of meet each other some way or the other, and to realize, oh, maybe there's a tiger mom's pushing her kids to go to the Ivy League schools and have a steady, stable salary right away from Fresh out of college, there's many extreme stories told uh, among the two cultures. But one thing I sense very intensely is the fact that even when my parents used to brag about me, it's always titles. I mean, it's a funny thing, is like by a happy coincidence that I People chose me to be the prom queen in in high school. Mm -hmm. High school I only had been for nine months, and there were really not many Asian-looking faces there at all. And then there are many, many beautiful young girls. And uh, in a way, I was like, okay, okay, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's a small town. Maybe because I I was a tomboy, played hockey. But now, how many? Oh my god, that was like more than a decade ago, right? So my mom still brags about it. And that always offends me too. It's like, that's, that's not my identity. That's an yeah, event. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a title that's now a plastic crown somewhere that we can never find again. There's so many interesting aspects and stories about you. And you know, I love to talk about your professional careers as well other people, and especially women in this case, to kind of transition from being a dancer to being in advertising? I mean, you may sound like a walk in the park, but in reality, I'm sure there's some of the challenge mentally and physically and going from a very active lifestyle, uh, over-exhausted to a very sanitary, like sort of sitting at a desk. What was that transition like for you? And what are some of the advice that you share to other people? So,
1: I mean, I think, First of all, I'm so proud of dancers who have made that transition, because I think it really is just about confidence. But if for 30 years of your life, you're told that you're not perfect, therefore you're nothing, it's very difficult to have confidence. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But I am proud of the dancers who make that leap. Um, I think anyone can do it. Kind of going back to this idea of titles versus kind of your metal, I think Anyone can do anything if they just put that intention there. And so often we think that people are successful because there's this element uh, that they have that will make them successful. But I think so often it's just a matter of, it's a numbers game, right? And that you possess the qualities already. So dancers, we are so detail-oriented. That will be really helpful in many careers. You are used to performing. In fact, I remember my first job outside of school I had a uh, my neuromarketing research. I worked really hard on it, um, and I presented it to the leaders. I was really nervous, and when I presented, he said, "You know, you have the most graceful way of presenting, um, and you were able to quickly go from one slide to the next. It was it was like a performance." And um, he even talked about the motion of my arm showing a chart from uh, a line <laughs> that went from the bottom left hand corner to the top. <laughs> I was doing a port of bras <laughs> But there's the performance aspect where if you get in front of a room, you'll be able to say exactly what people need. And if someone asks you something on the spot, you'll be able to answer in a way that makes sense. You know, you can perform. So, I mean, beyond ballet, I think there's so many things where whatever the skills are that you create and that we all kind of have through our different passions, you can apply them in a lot of different ways. And maybe that's why it seems like I have a lot of titles, but I think it's more because I'm title averse and more skills focused. So for example, I mean, I have like my ballet and yoga competing, and then I have my interest in neuromarketing and EEG research that I've done. And then more recently kind of doing this competition through IDO and UBS focusing on education. I think at the end of the day, it's that I am passionate about helping people realize their intrinsic brilliance, whether that's myself or them, and that manifests in a lot of different ways. So in ballet and in yoga, ballet is more the personal aspect, yoga is more of a community aspect. The neuromarketing stuff I did was more about kind of my community at my old company and collaborating and kind of for us all to create something brilliant together and then this more recent initiative in education is about helping people find their own brilliance and setting them up for success because i do really believe that and this is kind of i think the narrative that will be of my life i do believe that everyone is brilliant
0: yeah, I think I'm really interested in diving in a little bit deeper in terms of Ido and the project you've been working on recent, very fresh and top of mind. Before we get to that, I have to ask like sort of a, like a yoga pose, like a counter pose. There are many aspects and never apologize for an interesting life. And, you know, people used to ask me the same thing I was going from a developer to a business analyst to a PM. Well, life is too short you know, and nobody should ever be quizzed or questioned at the age of 22 to say, clearly you don't know what you want. What is that trajectory in your passion? But as a dancer, being sort of a, a perfectionist in many ways and the physical beauty, the intensive training, what are some of the things a dancer or someone similar in that position need to watch out for? As in, you know, maybe could be setbacks or liabilities based on that training going into that professional world as a strategist, as a producer?
1: Yeah, I think the I have been in the spotlight a lot and I've always been jealous of people who have worked on sports teams or like been in high school sports because I think there's a huge benefit in collaboration. You can never do anything yourself. And I think a lot of dancers think, If I spend a lot of time doing something, I can get it to be perfect or of my success. So I can't rely on anyone else. And I would really encourage dancers who make that transition to embrace collaboration and embrace leaning on other people for support and knowledge. And actually, so I know you spoke with McEvelyn and he said to surround yourself with people who Feel dumb and not dumb in a bad way because we're all smart in our own respects, but to be conscious of where your talents fall short and to find people who fill those gaps. I think that'd be probably my biggest piece of advice.
0: Well said. I have to say, thanks for sharing that. It's it's very deep. It's like teamwork and, and collaboration. In some cases, collaboration may be overrated, but for Most of the time, asking for help, it's really noticing. So I think we can transition right into IDEO. But perhaps before we do that, I think it's an interesting question to ask. You know, how has your experience been, Arnold? And as a strategist, like first, it's what do you do exactly? And uh, how are you enjoying your experience so
1: far? To quickly give background on how I got into business strategy, my first job was writing code for websites to collect um, data on no ads way. to broader data analytics. That I wanted to prove that I could be not artsy, <laughs> and then I started to realize that I was way too data intensive, not necessarily big picture, which attracted me to business strategy because. At Arnold's, business strategy um, is essentially business consulting for creative, which is very difficult to execute. It's being able to measure the business impact of any sort of campaign tends to be quite the laborious process, but I thought it was a really fascinating challenge. So we work closely with a department called planning, and they focus on representing the voice of the consumer. So by working with them and then also the creative team, What we focus on is basically the voice of the CEO. So combining the voice of the CEO, the voice of the consumer, um, and then working with creative being to create some really effective advertising. So yeah, it's been really fascinating.
0: So I think that transitions really well into uh, IDEO. I know you're very, very busy at Arnold, but then there, it was uh, an opportunity that's you know, basically, you're you know, in your way, and uh, you sounded very passionate when you began to describe it to me. Could you give me a sense of how that came about and, uh, and also give us a sense of the project you're working on and the status of it? I think you there's a recent recognition uh, I'd love for you to talk about as
1: well. Yeah, of course. So, the way that it came about, or sorry, came to be, came about, was I think first just being open to having that experience. Um, and I don't want to kind of discount that step because I think so often, and this is something my dad has taught me that it really is numbers game when it comes to excelling and that that's really important. So I had applied to something at Arnold called One Young World, where you apply to be part of this convening event somewhere in the world, and you focus on these global issues. And I applied within having been at Arnold for a couple of months, and I did not get it. I spent a lot of time on my application. I think I wrote almost seven pages I don't think you needed to write more than one, but I was so keen on going. I thought it was so cool. You're not like
0: alone. It's- because it's uh, so funny <laughs> you share this, Lauren. I did the exact same thing. And yeah. I did not get in. I wrote literally six, seven pages. Did not get in. Went through the interview process. I was told that I was ignited, that I didn't necessarily need this to thrive. And so I took the advantage and started Phase World Podcast. And there you go. Back to you. That what did what you, did you do? Wow, <laughs> I love
1: that. No, I think it's so important to embrace quote unquote failure as much as success because it really inspired me as well Because i got feedback i wanted to understand why i didn't get it it's such <laughs> a great learning opportunity right and the main pieces of feedback i got it's kind of tangential but in being in business strategy you're very siloed so um, being able to collaborate those opportunities don't exist as much so the feedback was we didn't know if you'd be good at collaborating <laughs> mm,
0: interesting <laughs> so I said,
1: okay Good to know. I need to go after opportunities <laughs> collaborate. But the other thing was that one of the questions that was asked during the essays was what do you think the most important global cause is? which is such a difficult question to answer. And you start to think, well, if you fix this, then how will it impact that? And what are kind of the repercussions, positive or negative? And so I thought about it a ton. i talked to so many different people. I got really fascinating responses and everyone feels passionate about various issues. And what I realized through that question was that I felt very passionately about education number one and then number two basic health care so it was neat that through one young world one young world essay and application process I realized that about my own interests and passion mm-hmm. so that was the first thing and then the second thing I went to future M which is a conference it's in Boston it focuses on the things of the future and technology and innovation all that good stuff and there Mick Ebeling, whom you've talked to spoke. And his talk was so inspiring because as an advertiser, sometimes you wonder how much impact you have Mm -hmm. and how you probably need to know all these things before you really excel. At least that's what I kind of feel like sometimes. I'm like, oh, maybe I need to go to school or maybe I need to become an expert in this or that before I can do something big. Mm -hmm. And I create all these barriers for myself before I allow me to be so... What was cool to me was that Mick, he's very smart, but he works in advertising, and he just decided to do something. But the three things that he said that really stood out to me were, number one, first you commit, and then you figure it out, which I thought was a good takeaway. Number two was surround yourself with people who make you feel stupid in a good way. And then three seek out morsels of approval. So so often we hear the no and people are quick to say no to things no that can't work but you know what i'm sure when someone said let's put someone on the moon someone said no that can't work impossible which is how he founded the not impossible apps this idea that anything can be possible just so long as you're persistent and you keep at it so between the one young world application where i didn't get in and then the Mick evelyn talk all of a sudden one day one of my coworkers, brian he he and I want to do something fun outside of work. Uh, work is fun, but we want to do something fun outside of work. And he mentioned this to me and I actually had this internal monologue in my head. And I said, if I had to commit, then figure it out. So I said, let's do it. Like, mm-hmm. Come on, let's do it. And I didn't really know Brian that well. And he said, ah, it'd be so cool. Don't you think it'd be really cool if we did this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because essentially Open Ido or Ido has these open-sourced challenges where anyone can try to answer a bigger question. And the bigger question that Brian brought to my attention was, how might we reduce the cost of college education and how it's paid for? So not only the fact that it kind of aligned with my passion that I I realized I thought to help again, people realize their intrinsic brilliance. I think that education and basic health care really helped uh, drive that. Mm-hmm. So not only was the topic relevant, but kind of learning how to act, learning that I should just commit to this challenge and then figure it out. Then I also told myself in my head, well, I need to uh, build a team that makes me feel stupid in some ways, whether that's in user experience or in what the customer thinks about or when it comes to
0: more complex financial approaches. So, Yeah. So for people, for some people, listeners probably don't know who Brian is. So Brian is a user experience designer, short, short for UX, and who is clearly, you know, a, a very useful resource to have on this type of project. So, what, what did you guys end up delivering? And I know the time, you know, the time frame was was incredibly short. I would assume yeah. within that short time frame, what are some of the things that you uh, kind of delivered to the project?
1: Yeah. So it was. Uh... Tons of fast turnaround. Um, There are three different phases, kind of depending on whether or not you got into the next phase. But within the first phase, it was just sharing what your ideas were. So what we delivered were, as a team, three ideas we felt were interesting, disruptive, and things that we felt passionately would help reduce the cost of college education. And among those three ideas, so we wrote them up and put them on the OpenIDEO website. Uh, probably about a page and a half, two pages long. And then we were really excited because our idea got selected as one of the semifinalists. So we went through to the next round. So it went down from 300 all the way to about 20. So then we we're like, oh, wow, we need to get serious about this. I can't believe someone kind of gave us that morsel of approval, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that I ended up getting through is one called Unbroke. And it was based on a consumer insight we found, which is the fact that students actually have a lot more buying power than they would imagine. And that it's not really a seller's market, it's a buyer's market. We heard this from students, we heard this from parents, we heard this from teachers, uh, college admissions, college uh, financial aid programs, that colleges are looking to fill seats. that 90% of colleges in the U.S that's 4,900 colleges are looking to break even. Mm -hmm. So that was really fascinating to us that we found that there was a need that because of kind of how the admissions process was set up that wasn't being met. What we did is we created a fake company, um, so it's not technically a company yet. That's called Unbroke, and we help create negotiators who negotiate down the cost of tuition at no added cost to the student.
0: I'm looking at the website, by the way. It's, it's great because I'm on the Open Ido website. And all I did was Open the Ido Unbroke, which, by the way, I'm going to include the link to this. Oh. Uh, yeah, to this article that you offered, which really goes into, you know, what was the target, who is the uh, target audience, and then the diagram and the images. And I think it really clearly put in a lot of thoughts to it. Yeah, I'm so glad you have this information. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, I think it was really crucial to get the the user's voice
1: involved. And IDEO, their whole thing is human-centered design because, For example, business strategy, we could create an amazing business opportunity, but if the consumer does not buy into that strategy, it's going to fall short, right? So really understanding what the customer's pain points are, so what the student's pain points are, how they would use a website itself. Uh, Brian kind of created a wireframe, kind of different types of uh, evaluation tools for cost-effective schools. So really understanding how someone would use a site, go through their decision process was very important. And it was a ton of work, but most of it just manifested in writing up our thoughts, you know, getting feedback from the community through OpenIDO's platform and refining it. It manifested recently, so we ended up making it to the final round. The company that hosted this was UBS, so we got to pitch the idea to UBS among other people who came to the event. So you know you have like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to Apple and IBM to banks and uh, consulting companies. So what was most interesting for us was the fact that instead of being approached by the the foundations or the tech companies, which we thought we'd be approached by. We were most approached by the banks, yeah. themselves and consulting firms.
0: What's the current status of this project? And, and obviously it's a great idea. Some great ideas can be shelved and then who knows, can pick it up later. But what, what is the uh, current outcome and results of this project? Is it ongoing? Is it being discussed still?
1: Yeah, so I think we're still determining that. The team itself, out of everyone who was invited to pitch in New York, there were five different winners. We were by far the youngest. So the idea of just quitting our jobs and going after this, uh does not feel like the most responsible thing to do. But we also don't want to just let it die. So I think our next step is to collect thoughts from people who we trust and mm-hmm. to really understand if it's more than just a, oh, you're young, you did something that was good and uh, proactive, yes. yay you sort of thing, you know, but really something that could provide value and that is scalable and would be uh, highly impacting. We're kind of just hunkering down right now and absorbing it all and talking to who we deem as experts to see whether this is something we want to pursue outside of work and then we take it from there.
0: I think, to your point, you know, this is the extracurricular activity. The fact that, you know, you, for people who don't know how busy you can get uh, in an agency, well, I can assure them that it's certainly there's no 40 hour weeks here. <laughs> i mentioned Tim first seriously for hour work week so it just just shows that once you're again you're committed to something you can really grow and for those job seekers out there and especially young professionals all of a sudden your name lauren brown is no longer just attached to say a personal blog of yours you know random rambling but now your name is clearly closely attached to open ido and U- ubs in this case not just attached randomly, or it's like a golden child, but there's an initiative, there's a project, something that you thought through very clearly. So I think it's very, very positive. I must admit that we talk about professional careers a lot, and I really like the fact that you share your experience through these stories instead of saying bullet points or high level. You're really getting your hands dirty uh, and your feet dirty as well. Um, <laughs> Before I let you go, I got to ask just a couple of questions related to yoga. Um, How did you get into yoga? And perhaps because it's so good for your mind and body, you're able to balance work and even new projects. I'm curious how you got into yoga and how you got into yoga competition.
1: So it's, I think what helped transition me from a ballerina to a non-ballerina and just a person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think... Being active will always be important to me because I feel as though when I move my body, I'm able to express myself in ways that words, as cheesy as it sounds, words fail in a private way. I kind of can't really explain what it feels like just to move my body and carve out space and light in my mind. So yoga was a form of exercise that still, instead of it being like running where you're doing the same thing, maybe the scenery changes. For me, I really like the meditative aspect of ballet and yoga. Mm. Kind of it's just you in front of the mirror and that's it. So to me, originally, it felt very similar. And then I realized how different it was mm. because it was less about the end result and more about the process itself. Interesting. And this notion that there's no such thing as perfection and there's only such thing as intention became more and more embedded in kind of how I tried to approach things. I felt suffocated by perfection. You always fall short of this notion of perfection, however you define it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not even falling short. You prevent yourself from going as far as you could out of fear of failing, right? Mm -hmm. So yoga for me was so liberating because the teacher would always say, lower your leg don't go for depth go for form right mm-hmm. so it's don't go for your ego go for the intention and the competitive yoga aspect teacher reached out to me because he thought that i had a lot of natural talent i guess more just flexibility uh, since i've been stretching since age five <laughs> And he mentioned the competitions to me. So USA Yoga Federation is an organization that's trying to get yoga to become a competitive sport and part of the Olympics. It's been around for quite a few years. And essentially you you compete on a regional level, state level, the national level, and then international level. And I was interested just because, I mean, I'm still a competitive person, but I think it's myself. But the thought was the fact that You get up on stage, you have three minutes to complete something. You have to go through six postures. Every posture is graded on balance, form, and flexibility. If you fall, you get half the points off, Um, and each pose is kind of graded. So it's very similar to figure skating. And what was interesting to me was it frightened me Mm -hmm. to be judged, but I, I thought it was good. Whenever something scares me, I kind of go after it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, go into it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I always see it as medicine in a while. I'm like, oh, it scares me? Cool, let me try it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I went after it. I competed, and I ended up actually going to nationals. And I did well, but I didn't win first place or anything. And then it was interesting to me because the second year I competed was – And the reason why they say yoga competition is you can have a yoga competition, even though it sounds like it's contradictory. It's because (laughs) if you're able to get up on stage in just a leotard, nothing else, Mm -hmm. and keep your calm and keep your peace in front of an entire theater of people. And not be distracted by the pressure, everyone looking at you, maybe someone sneezing, maybe you feel like your leotard doesn't fit right, maybe the lights feel like they're affecting your performance. Whatever it is, it really is just all in your mind. Mm -hmm. And if you practice, not in the studio just for the form, but if you practice
0: controlling your mind, then you quote unquote win. You
1: did win. I mean, I, I, it, yeah, I mean, I, so that's a funny thing, though. So when I moved to North or Massachusetts, I'd only been here for three weeks. I had not practiced yoga or intensely for a couple of months. And so I had three weeks to kind of get back in shape. And I thought, you know what? Let me just do it because it's my intention. It's getting rid of mm-hmm. my ego. It's good. It's good for me. And then the day of, there was a huge snowstorm. And I thought, oh, I don't want to go. And mm-hmm. I thought, Lauren stop making up excuses for yourself you should drive and go Mm -hmm. and I went oh and then even in my routine I had a very risky uh posture Mm -hmm. where or not risky but it was very creative so I decided to have fun with it so my fifth pose was I had I was standing up with my leg behind my head in something called goodbye pose and then with my leg behind my head while standing I grabbed my foot and then brought it straight up to the ceiling so it was kind of like a split Mm -hmm. right so that was a very creative execution no one has really done it before many people would fall and i thought you know what let me have fun let me try this let me do it i haven't really been practicing anyway so uh, i'll just have a good time so i did it and i did it well and i won
0: (laughs) isn't it funny when you're speaking of attention like sometimes the I mean the common saying is the more you want something the less likely it is for you to get it and it's really true because Um, you know when you set your focus almost too intensely not enough intention i guess or focus you're not paying attention you're unable to perform but again too much of it it's almost you know gripping onto it really won't help either and i think we walk through life so often to think that you know sometimes like living versus uh performance like we sometimes get that deeply confused you know mm. and or and sometimes you know another example I think you probably witness at work and yes yeah, so we go through different companies you know when somebody presents standing up there and it becomes you know sort of a one-way communication in a way that if there is more interaction if you're just more relaxed instead of only precisely focusing on what you need to do next or am I looking good am I sounding smart you do end up not only performing better because you're able to connect with people in the room. So bravo. I mean, I, I saw that via social media updates and if you have a, a unbelievable Instagram, <laughs> as people <laughs> could imagine doing all kinds of uh, crazy, interesting things that uh, nobody else physically could come close to. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren, so much for sharing your stories. And I know that even you're a young woman, but isn't it interesting to kind of compile your thoughts and just talking about a few errors uh, of your life, it feels like, wow, I didn't realize that I lived that much. I've done that much. It's kind of stunning. Yeah, no, it's, it's been really uh, fun reflecting. I hadn't really thought
1: about, because more recently I've kind of been struggling with the fact that, or I guess self-conscious with the fact that I probably do come across as having all these titles. Which I didn't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what talking with you made me realize is the fact that it's, yes, maybe our society focuses on titles, but if you think about my brand or like anyone's brand, if you think about your own brand and kind of how you approach life, what you end up doing with your life is just kind of the result but what really matters is who you are and what your values are and kind of the types of things you enjoy doing and the way you like to approach different challenges for me it was really fascinating to have that own realization so thank you
0: yeah no you're very welcome i want to say that i absolutely can relate to what you're saying but in a different way i've never been a dancer myself but it is so easy to categorize us, uh, us as in people, as in products. As yeah. And you think about the grocery stores you, you walk in, the supermarkets you walk in, things are being grouped. And it's so much easier to say, go that way, go into the store, 45 degrees to the right, look at the shelf. You're going to get what you need. And it's so much easier for an organization, this particularly a big one, right, to say, This is the strategy department. That is the design department. Everybody has a very distinct role and don't overstep your boundary. But I can see someone like yourself who clearly has lived a life that, you know, in the dancer's world seems, I don't want to say ordinary, but seems common. But all of a sudden you transition to a separate world that the majority of the people are living in. I argue even just part of my podcast, I notice with people that you think you know someone but you really don't
1: you know
0: you really don't I love
1: that though I think it's so cool like when you walk down the street and realize that every person has a story and you have no idea what that story is that everyone is their own protagonist I think it's fascinating yeah it's so
0: cool so cool I'm so excited about this